Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Okay, James. Uh, did you ever see this show, Flight of the Concords? Did you ever see that show back in the day on HBO? I saw like some of the some of their skits or whatever would end up on YouTube. So I saw some of that. Okay. The reason I ask you is because sometimes what they would do, their their manager Murray would take attendance for their meetings. So I just want to take attendance. James, you're here. I'm here, obviously, and soon. We're going to have our, our good buddy, Chris Johnson. Was the show just two people and they took attendance? They had, th- well, there's only two band members. So he would go, Jermaine would, uh, he'd take attendance for Jermaine and, uh, why can't I remember the other guy's name? Jermaine and... I thought, thought you're going to be super petty and take attendance and mark me as late. <laughs> no, because I would Cause, just do that every time. Because I showed up four minutes late. I, yeah. Oh, Jermaine and I Brett. Was, I don't know why I can remember that. Yeah, no, don't worry. It's okay. I'm, I'm ready. I wasn't going to punish you publicly. All right, we have a lot to talk about. Um, there's like so much going on right now. Obviously, there's Austin Matthews and the record chase. There's Jack Campbell's return. There's Mitch Marner basically going two points a game for, I don't know, two and a half, three months. Jake Muzzin is back. The defense is, is now in some interesting times in terms of like construction what they do what they shouldn't do who comes out who doesn't come out so we have a lot to get to with with chris and obviously we've got to start with uh the two games leafs just played against florida and tampa they take three or four points and yet you come away i think if you're the leafs kind of thinking you should have had all four which would have been really something measuring stick games jonas right uh, love those the media cliche measuring stick. That's what we're here for. You take it one game at a time. It's a measuring stick game. Do you? Uh, you would like to have two points, but you'll take the one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you got any more? Oh man, there's so many. How important was this game tonight? When you sit in in those scrums and and hear the players and the coach say the same thing for. I mean, you've been doing it even longer than I have. You've been doing it like half your life. Yeah. Um, but like that, it's t- it's it's funny. Like when you zoom out, you're like, I mean, they got three or four points playing Tampa and Florida on a back to back. That's that's you, you'd take that and run. You but wouldn't like two points, but you'll take the one and you'll go to Dallas. 
Yeah, right? but I mean, James, like you can't like they're up five <laughs> one. That's like you could make the division really interesting if you win that game. Like yeah, they would, they, they would have been five ha- points back, right? They had to win the division to make it interesting, right? I think like I don't. It's not really. It was still would have been difficult, but at least they have another game against Florida to make it really, really interesting. Now I don't. It doesn't really feel very realistic. Like it, it, it seems like they're stuck in that two three hole, and that's either going to be Tampa, unless the Lightning keeps struggling, and then maybe it's Boston, and here we go again. <laughs> um, I'm just looking at Florida's remaining schedule. It's pretty easy. They play like they're, some of the teams they be play. Fine. Buffalo, Detroit, twice. Eh, I guess it's not that easy. Uh, the Ottawa, thing too, they're missing Ekblad, who's such a huge part of their team. Like they, they. I thought that that Barkov and Huberdo looked pretty looked good, unreal, unreal. Like they were, they were matching Marner and Matthews step for step in that game, which was pretty cool to see. Huberdeau, was that the, the best MVP? game of the year? Was that the best game of the year to to watch for you? It had to be up there. That's a good question. My memory of games goes pretty quickly. Like I don't, I struggle with that. <laughs> Gold goldfish. Yeah, basically, I have to write everything down. I think that might have been the most entertaining game of the year, and at least fans probably might not agree with that. But I was I was greatly enjoying myself watching that game. Well, it feels like the game really turns when they give up that shorthanded goal, which just like can't go in, and then they take a too many man penalty, and then they give up a goal, and it's like then it's then you're in trouble. I thought they were going to be fine until the Gudis goal, and then it's like, <laughs> row, row. <laughs> and then and then Shogren has to leave the game, and it's a game like that where it's just like a chance every fourteen seconds. It's pretty hard to throw a goalie in on the second night of a back to back cold. That's that's tough. That so that Shogren letting in that turkey of a goal and then having to leave the game that combination of factors made it really, really tough on, on the Leafs. Yeah. And it, it, if I'm the Leafs, I'm, it, it worries me a little bit because I, I would be very reluctant to like, I would be scared, I guess, to overwork Jack Campbell coming back from this injury. Because if, if Jack Campbell, anything happens to him, like you're, you're up a Creek, you're up, you know what Creek, um, like, so I'm thinking like James, like the Dallas game on Thursday, by the time people listen to this, they may know, but would you, do you start Jack Campbell again in Dallas or do you kind of say, you know what? We just played him on back-to-back nights, three and four nights, actually. Let's, let's ease this back. Let's, let's just start Chalgren or Hutchinson or whatever. I, I think it might be time for Harry Sateri. He's, he's in Arizona. Is he in Arizona? Oh, yeah. Yet? Yeah. He got claimed. Oh, yeah. Did you hear? Oh yeah. But so James, just, just, they could have used him right now. They well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what Harry Sateri is all about. But to go back to the division, like you look at if you are able to win the division, which like you said, it would have been a long shot even if you win that game. Instead of facing Tampa or Boston, right now you would be facing Washington, which is not like a picnic, but it's like they are definitively the worst of the playoff teams. Maybe not the worst, but like they're on the lower end. East is tough this year, man. Holy cow. Yeah. Like the, I think every team is pretty good. Like the Rangers East, are in, East is like a, is a beast, a missed opportunity. I would say, can we get CJ in? I think we can. Do you want to introduce our buddy, James? The one, the only Chris Johnston with a T. Oh God. 
please don't go down that road, James. Please don't go down that road. Well, we we asked our our faithful listeners for questions, and there were quite a few that were about the tea. <laughs> so I, uh, we won't go down that road. I'll leave those questions out. Sorry, folks. That's that's for you. Got to listen to the Chris Johnston show to to hear those those answers. <laughs> All right, so CJ, where do you want to start? I'm going to give you some options. This is like, what are those books adventure. that... Uh, yeah, that's the one. Choose your adventure. So we can talk about Austin Matthews and the record chase. We can talk about Jack Campbell and the goaltending situation. We can talk about the defense now that Jake Muzzin is back. Choose your adventure. So do we get to all three eventually? You just want to know the order? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's start with Austin. I mean, that's the most fun. All right. So as we record this, he is one goal away from the record. Um, I'm going to kind of take James to task a little bit because I told James last week, I'm like, dude, this could happen by next week. And he's like, he's not going to score five goals in in a few days. He might need 10 to 12 days. And it's like, no, no, he's just going to score three and two and well, it's going to be I, right there. He hasn't, he doesn't have it yet. So you're... Your smarminess is is on the line here. He's got he's yeah, got to score. Sure he's, he's got to score in the next two games. Otherwise, I'm afraid you missed. Well, I mean, he's going banana. I'm sort of surprised he didn't score in Florida, given all the scoring chances yeah. he had to, to get the record. Um, you know, I, I don't. It's I guess the hard part about this discussion is like, what do we discuss? Because it's it's hard to kind of frame this properly. But you know, 54 goals in 65 games as we're recording this now is pretty wild even given what we've seen him do in, in the last two seasons in particular and you know i'm just wondering how far above 60 he's going to get to be honest i mean that might not be fair normal humans play three or four games without a goal and, and no one even questions it but you just you just get the feeling it's inevitable that he's going to score every game and I, I i actually don't feel like 60s any bit of a question here i agree with you yeah does this remind you anything of chris like does it does it remind you of some of the feats that that players it kind of reminds me of like in the 90s when there would you would you would turn on like a Mario Lemieux game or something and you just knew that he was going to do something right like it just was it wasn't a question of it whether and it feels like we've lost some of that feeling in the NHL just as like how low scoring it got and yeah it 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 feels like this season and it's not just Matthews it's like around the league there's been just incredible things happening with McCarr and Yossi and McDavid. and like You know that, what, James? It's, it's kind of like other sports. Like, it's a little bit like Steph Curry when he was kind of first really hot. It was like, oh, my God, you got to watch this guy. It's like Barry Bonds back in the day when he was like in his heyday. And obviously, there are issues there. But like, it was like every time you'd watch, he was going to hit a home run. It feels like every game you watch Matthews. Now, like, James, you mentioned all the chances. He had 13 shot attempts against Florida. I mean, this is as much fun, especially the last few months that I can remember the NHL, honestly. Um, you know, it's it's been a weird season. We had all that, the COVID pauses and disruptions and no fans in December and January, even into February. But, you know, we've seen a lot of crazy, wacky games. You know, that Leafs-Panthers game might be one of the more fun regular season games I can remember. Um, yeah, I thought it was even better than, say, like it, that 10-7 game in Detroit was weird. But, you know, last night it was just two great teams basically trading all those punches and you know, all the specialty teams goals, you know, Huberto's having just an awesome season at a big night. I, I, it's, I think it's great for the sport. I don't really know what to attribute it all to, to be honest. I mean, we, we haven't seen a notice uptick in power plays league wide, for example, which, you know, might be one reason you would expect to see this much more scoring, but 
Um, you know, I think the skill players getting to do what they do is great. And these milestones are all awesome. Like I remember when Stamkos hit 60, he scored two goals on the last day of the season, I believe it was in Winnipeg to get there. Like it was, it was close. And, and actually the year Ovechkin got to 65, he finished on a crazy tear. Uh, he's actually scoring at less of a pace per game than Matthews is now. But at the end, he just, it was like two goals, two goals, two goals You're right. um, up there. And, and that's why I wonder if, if you'll see that with Austin. I mean, in a weird way, he's run the hardest part of the race. Now it's just the end end in sight. And obviously his line and, and Mitch Marner has been going bananas too. I mean, those guys have just a tremendous amount of confidence and they have experience now. I mean, the truth is they're probably at the height of what they'll be as individuals in the NHL. These, these They might each put up a season that they can't individually surpass in the future um, just because they're kind of in the, in the meat of their career. And so the awesome... I think it's exciting and awesome to watch and it's creating good buzz. And I think it actually sets up pretty interesting for the playoffs because, you know, obviously the Leafs bet is that those two guys will be difference makers for them. And we know, uh, we know what the discussion was last spring, uh, you know, around Martyr and, and Matthews in particular. Okay. A couple of things there are interesting to me. Uh, I've been thinking about what is peak Matthews? What does that look like? Like how many goals is that? Because if you go back to the beginning of the season, he's coming off the surgery. He's not himself. He obviously misses the three games. He misses two more with the the suspension. Uh, so he only gets seven goals in his first 17 games, misses the first three games. If you factor in like the games that that he missed, as well as that slow start, it, I, a lot of people are wondering, like, could he get 70 one year? Like, is, is that, and in that, obviously John Cooper, the lightning coach said that the other day. Do you, do you feel like that's a realistic bar for us to set for him next year, maybe? I think it's it's realistic in that he scored over the last three seasons at something close to a 70 goal pace. The problem is he turns 25 in September. And and if you look historically, I mean, there's nothing magic about that number, but most offensive players, whether it was Gretzky, Lemieux, Crosby, Mike Boston, I'm pretty sure all those those players had their best individual offensive seasons, you know, on or around their 25th birthday. And, you know, I think just the wear and tear of the league and, and you know, injuries add up for most players over time new players come in that are faster or more skilled, you know, all those things come into play. And so, you know, I don't know that it's fair to say that he'll get 70 next year. I, I certainly wouldn't say he can't, but he probably would have had 70 at some point here in the last three seasons uh, or last year or this year in particular, if, if there were 82 game seasons for him. Um, so the truth is this might be his best. I mean, it seems all but a certainty he's going to get a hundred points. Uh, he's got what 12 games left and he's five short. You know, he's only, and I say only in air quotes, he's only got to score six goals in the 12 games to get to 60. So he's, you're probably looking at us at minimum a 60 goal, 100 point season. You know, he might have trouble passing that in the future and not a knock on him. It's just, you know, historically, it's been really hard for players to keep getting better at his age um, and, and more productive. And, you know, maybe the Leafs don't need him to do that either. I mean, this, this is sort of video game stuff at this point in time. Um, but you know, Sidney Crosby and all sorts of guys that didn't surpass their early, early career point totals continue to be really effective and part of teams that won the Stanley cup and all those types of things too. It's so cool having 50 goals and a hundred points be, be a mark that's more attainable than it, than it, like there were years there where we didn't have 50 goal scorers. I mean, quite a few, there were years where we didn't have a hundred point scorers. You alluded to it earlier when you said that scoring was up and it's interesting, it's way up at even strength and <laughs> I, I don't know if I have a theory on that either. Like, I wonder if, the, like, is this just an anomaly year? Because it's not like it's not like a bunch of new players have come in and produced that. It's guys that we've been watching the last three or four years. So, 
if if this is the new normal that scoring is going to go up this much, then I think that it's more realistic that we're going to see these really high numbers. I just don't know if this is like a weird blip year with all the different goalies that have played or or what exactly is going on, but it's it's made the games greatly entertaining. Yeah, I, I, I wish we had a better thought. I mean, you, you could probably pull the numbers on this. Like one thing that's occurred to me, obviously teams pull their goaltenders earlier now, mm-hmm. so maybe empty net. Our offense has at least, you know, in some ways, you know, led to an uptick, but it can't all be explained by that. I mean, this is the highest scoring season in like, what, 25 years or something? Yeah, it's like 96, uh, I think. It's like back in that, yeah. that year when uh, all yeah, the stats that are happening. It's, uh, you're right, 96. 3.14 goals per game in 96. This year, it's 3.12. And that's even up right. from where we were in midseason. <laughs> like, I think it was 3.07. Or, well, like, do it's you guys still going, think there's anything up. weird with, I'm looking at the save percentages. It's 9.08 this year. It was 9.08 last year. It's basically come down every year since like 14, 15, 15, 16, when it was 9.15. I don't know how what would explain that is there anything you guys could point to i think it's like the offensive talent in the league maybe and like winning the war against the goalies is is one explanation for it yeah i mean look at like guys like matthews in particular study how to basically fool the goaltenders but you know he's one player and he's the best goal scorer in the league i mean I, I don't know league-wide why it's gone this way. It's, I, it's not like all the goalies forgot how to play. Well, other players, you know though, other scores, Chris, are studying what Matthews is doing and trying to to pull it off. You know, the, I, yeah, I've heard that McKinnon's looking at it and, you know, this and the skills coaches are looking at what he's doing with Belfry and trying to incorporate it. It's really interesting. Yeah, but it does feel like a little bit like a war. Like, like there's a while there where, the, you know, goaltenders and, and defensive play was winning out and this... I don't know. It's not even as weird. I mean, seven, six isn't happening every night around the league, but it's not as weird to see that. It's just, we've, you know, Florida just on their own, they've come back, what, five times, I think by three or more goals to win games. Uh, you know, they're the best offensive team in the league. Uh, so it, it makes some sense that way, but, but I mean, racing a three goal lead, it wasn't commonplace in the past and it's, it's getting there. And I think, again, I don't know how that doesn't improve the the excitement level of the game. I actually went to the game, in the crowd with my dad last week when, when Winnipeg was in Toronto and it was a seven, three game, at least we're down two nothing. And, and it's, it's fun when you're in a building that way where you feel like, okay, two nothing, the game isn't over. you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember that, that Stanley cup final of Calgary and Tampa where the team that scored first won won every game in that series. I mean, yeah. it used to be, you got a lead. It was hard to, hard to come back, even if you were a good team, but, but that's, that's gone out the window. And I, and I think it sets the stage, you know, obviously the playoff hockey is different. I don't think we're going to see a ton of seven, six games, in the playoff series, but I, I do think that there's going to be an element that teams can't lock it down as much as they once did. And, and we'll see some pretty exciting first round series in particular. Well, let's hope so. I, I think you guys are right though. I think the, like you think of the, the amount of teams across the league that are just fun to watch now. And it must just be like, there's just all this skill. Like I, I like watching New Jersey and like New York is kind of fun, even though they have their issues, Colorado, Pittsburgh, like there's just so many teams. Detroit has been fun. Um, but guys, like I'm looking at the the scoring. Do you think Seattle, the creation of the Kraken has led to this in any way that like just the, the player pool has been diluted a little bit more? Each team might be a little bit weaker as a result. I mean, I'm, well, I'm just thinking Well, and Vegas, but- so that's like another team. Do, do you guys think that's, is that possible maybe? I, I think there's like a split in talent too this year that's weird where there's like, there's clear teams that aren't content competitive and then there's 
like there's a, there's like a bigger gap, you know, like I think some of those other seasons where it was low scoring, it's like every team is the same kind of thing. And that's not the case this year. Right. I wanted to ask you guys, um, this was not on the choose your adventure. It, it was, but I forgot to mention it. Uh, I'm looking at the scoring race right now as we record this. Mitch Marner is now sixth in the league in scoring, which is just nuts when you think of like how the season started, where he was at the midpoint. He's got 88 points in 61 games. He's basically two points a game since January 15th. That date sticks in everyone's mind because that's when he came back from protocol. Um, just thinking about the Matthews run, and I've been working on a story for eventually when he breaks the record. And one of the things that that kept coming up when I talked to people about it was don't forget Marner. And it's like, yeah, like I know, like I'm, I'm watching, but they're like, like that point can sometimes get lost a little bit with Matthews. Um, it's almost like I've been thinking about it. He like supercharges Matthews. Like Matthews would score no matter what, but it's almost like he's the Nas in like, the, remember the Fast and the Furious movies when you just press the button and it's like you get that extra kick. I don't know, like CJ, what have you seen from Marner over these last two and a half months, three months? Oh, he's been awesome. And, and you know, we can all, you don't have to work very hard to find examples of goals that if Mitch Marner wasn't on Austin Matthews line, that, that he probably wouldn't get a chance to score just with some of the, the, the feeds he gets or even just the way he draws defenders in his direction. And then all of a sudden, you know, Matthews is open. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's funny, like this, this discussion goes on so much in hockey, obviously with, with Dreisaitl and McDavid, it's, it's, been a discussion point. I think it will be as the Hart Trophy discussion comes up even more. You know, it's it can be hard to separate teammates. I mean, it's 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 not an individualistic sport, even though we have some amazing individual talents in the league. And you know, I I don't think we can rule out or, or look past the fact that Marner and Matthews play so much of their five on five ice time together. You know, obviously part of a pretty successful power play unit. Although Matthews you know, still gets a lot of his scoring done at even strength, you know, even more than, than basically any other player in the league. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely been part of the success, but you know, he's, he's also not having a bunch of tap-ins the whole time either. So it's hard to, I guess, separate that a little bit or work through it. I look forward to seeing what you can do with your story because <laughs> I think it's sort of a complex yeah. topic without a sort of a simple answer. Um, but come on, let's be real. If he was playing with, what Pascal Dupuis and, and Chris Kunitz are, you know, the, the two line mates that, that Crosby had and, and those guys had great seasons with Crosby. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's, it's, it's a different set of circumstances than what he's got with, with getting to play so often with Marner now. James, what will you do with your, your heart trophy ballot now that all these conversations are <laughs> happening? It's going to be, it's going to be tricky. You know, I, I didn't vote last year. I, I hope I get a vote this year. Cause it's going to be, it feels like that heart, conversation and the way the voting goes is going to be a really big part of the end of the season here because obviously the professional hockey writers association uh we typically vote right after the regular season ends and you know there's already different factions that are that are that are staking their claims on social media and it'll be interesting when the ballots get revealed kind of the direction that that goes and i hope that there's not i hope that it's a result that feels just and that it, it's not like highly controversial, if if that makes sense. Ooh, it will be. <laughs> like, do you like Chris? Do you worry at all? I, you're, I know you're involved with the PHWA quite a bit in terms of uh, the. I can't remember exactly what your title is. Are you vice president or something these days? Yeah, vice president. Yeah. Um, do you do you ever worry that there's going to be like a Jose Theodore kind of situation where there's like a regional? 
situation with the voting and uh you know there's controversy over how how people decide like it my my concern would be that just just knowing the way that some factions feel about the Leafs and the attention they get that they would leave Matthews off their ballot like and that would just it would it would look really bad if that's what ends up happening. Yeah, I hope not. You know, I have a lot of faith in the voters. It's not to say that everyone's ballot that gets submitted would be my ballot, but that's part of the process. What's good this year, I think, uh, is we're going back to the expanded list. So it'll be somewhere in the neighborhood of 175 voters. All right, I'll be back. Uh, last, last year, it was it was pared down to 100 for a variety of reasons. Uh, mostly that, that that most writers didn't travel the whole league, and so that we were really careful to have a certain number assigned per division to, to try to avoid any sort of regional biases or, you know, such a unique season last year, right. It was a true COVID year. Um, you know, this, this will be more like what used to happen in years gone by. And I think one of the benefits of having that many voters is, is it does eliminate some of the noise, right? I mean, if, if, if you get some wonky ballots, I, I just think that they have, instead of being one, one hundredth of the total, it's one, 175th. And I think that makes a difference. Yeah. Uh, and the truth is, and this is like, it's the uncomfortable part of this discussion about awards balloting, but there isn't always a right answer. Like two very smart, intelligent people could look at this and say, it has to be Carmen David, or it has to be Austin Matthews. Maybe someone says it has to be Johnny Goodrow, Igor Shosturkin, or like, I don't know that there is a right answer. Uh, I do think what happens in the next three weeks is going to have a say on it um, as much as it's a season long award. You know, it's it's shaping up. Everything's getting pretty close right now. I mean, even you know Matthew's point per game. I think he's second in the league behind McDavid. Yeah, likely to get to fifty goals and hundred points. Like, I mean, that's and when you look at his defensive impacts, it, to me, he's the front runner. Honestly, as we're recording this, but he could go five or six games without a goal, and maybe it looks different. Um, you know, by the time it comes time to place the ballot. Uh, but yeah, there's, that's always a concern. We, we go to great pains. We haven't finalized a list yet. We had a call this week uh, in terms of like who's voting, but, but there's a, a huge amount of discussion that goes into trying to balance it East and West. It's really hard because more just geographically, more of the hockey writers are based in Eastern time zones. Um, and so you're, you're obviously balancing having the most qualified voters, you know, people with experience have been around the league, but also you know, there's there's a recognition there that not everyone stays up at 1 a.m. Eastern time to watch some of the teams on the West Coast play or doesn't do so with enough frequency that it, that it can affect results. So it's a huge point of concern. I think by and large, we we get it right as a group. And, you know, I do have faith we'll, we'll get there again. But this, this is going to be an interesting one just because there's so many Canadian-based players too again. Like that was a funny thing. I, I pushed back last year on all the North division talk that the, it was a junk division. Like what's hilarious is if you look at the scoring leaders right now, it's all guys other than Hubert all played in the North division. You got McDavid one, dry settle three, Matthews four, Goodrow five, Marner six, Kachuk eight. You know, I think last year there might, I think some people might've overstated the North division. I just think it happened that a lot of the individually skilled players were in that division. And that, that kind of bears it out now that we're back to a more normal schedule. Just, just so Jonas and I have a vote, right? I would think so. I mean, <laughs> I don't like unilaterally choose it, but I would be surprised. I mean, you always did in the past. I, it's I, okay, so I would James. That it's I would not be. about you. It's about the award. Right? Well, I'm just, I'm just interested this year to like some years. It's like it's a chore. It's it's it's, it's a it's lot of work a, like, if you want to actually it's, do it's a, a good lot job. Of work. Yeah, yeah you, it takes like a whole day to do the ballot properly, really. Well, and if you look, I think what it's stressful because you're affecting history, right? Like 
I, I, I think everyone wants to do a good job. Uh, and it's not easy. Well, you look last year, McDavid got 100 out of 100 first place votes, and that's obviously not going to be the case this year. And that's what's going to be interesting. I, the part that bothers me sometimes is people have like these rules that like what they their rules often contradict themselves. Like, I won't vote for this guy because he has this good teammate. And then it's like, well, he is like he is a good teammate. It's like, well, no, he's more important. And anyway, that's a whole rabbit hole that we could go down. Uh, we should take a break. Uh, we still got some leaf stuff to get into and then we have to do uh, a bunch of questions for cj in the pod bag looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human in customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask us make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Let's get into some more. We could probably just talk about the awards forever, which I like. But um, Where do you think Bunting goes in the Calder? Oh, my God. What a great <laughs> question. Him there, or what do you think? I, I don't think he can win it, can he? I, it just feels like there's going to be a lot of people that penalize him for his age and who he plays with and all that kind of stuff. What do you think of that? Those arguments, CJ? I think I actually think they're somewhat fair. The problem is, is you can only vote based on the criteria. The criteria says he's eligible, um, but being a 25 year old rookie is different than being a 19 year old rookie. I don't think it's that's unreasonable to say like even Kaprizov, right? Like he played pro hockey for a number of years in Russia. Like I can understand why there's that discussion. I, uh, I don't, I don't know who's going to win. I really don't. I see some people in my timeline saying Timothy Lilligren should get in there. Oh, so, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. but it's probably going to be one of the Detroit kids, right? That's been my expectation that one of them will, will rise to the top, but it feels like the talk around them has quieted a little bit of late. Yeah. But they're right there, points wise, and and obviously points is part of how how that'll be judged. You know, it's 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 not easy. I mean, look, not a lot of rookies get to play with Matthews and Marner either. Uh, and it's not to take anything away from Michael Bunting. I think he's been excellent. Obviously, a huge find for the Leafs this year in the big picture um, because of how how well he's fit in. But you know, he, he's you get some juice numbers that way, and then you know Lucas Raymond. There's only two points behind him as we're doing this. You know, maybe Zegers can get there. I, mm-hmm. It's it, it's not an easy year. It really, really isn't an easy year to do it. And I, I just can't help. But more than even the Toronto factor, I think Bunting's age will be part of what, what makes some people scared. So off why him. is that such a big deal? Like, is, is the award the best young guy or is it the best first year player? Well, it's the best. I think it's literally the best rookie, right? So what, like, what does his age have to do with it? Fair point. I don't like, I don't know. Like I'm not, I don't care. Like I, I would probably vote cider, honestly one right now, but like, I don't understand why age matters so much. Like it's not his fault that Arizona never well, gave him a chance. I don't get it. Th- th- there's just enough voters that will 
factor that in and move bunting down the list that I think it'll impact who wins. But what is their argument? Like, what does a, I'm just like, I'm not, I well, don't think like, it should matter, but what, why does it matter? What's the most impressive feat as a rookie is what, what Chris is saying. If you're Lucas Raymond and you're playing on a team that doesn't have a lot of talent or, and you're, what is he, 19 this year? 19 years yeah. old and you're doing what he's doing versus what Bunting's doing playing with he's playing with and the level of experience that he has in hockey. I mean, it's crazy. You know what's crazy to me is watching Bunting and watching him last night against the Panthers and some of the moves he's making. It's like, how wasn't this guy in the NHL already? Like, it doesn't make any sense. No, I don't have a good explanation for that one. What I mean, a, he did break What a through. whiff. He did break through last year, but by that point, it was too late because he was still able to become a group six free agent and choose a spot. You know, what's interesting, like looking at some of the numbers now, he's got 51 even strength points. You know, Raymond has 36. I mean, the, the, the counter argument would be if you're on a good team and if you play with good line mates, you're not getting power play opportunities and other things to, to boost your point totals. Yeah. Um, well, and it's not like I, you don't, could, I really don't know how this one's going to go. It's not like you could just stick anybody next to those guys and they would have this many goals and this many points. Like he's, Well, we know that. We've seen them play with other players right. and it hasn't worked. Right. Yeah. I don't know. The Nick Rich experiment was short. <laughs> yes. How is he doing in Arizona? I haven't looked at his he, stats. He's doing well. Doesn't he have like seven yeah. goals in 16 games or something like that? Let's he exactly does. Let's see here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have, I have, the, I have the notifications on for when Leafs players score goals and stuff. And sometimes when they get traded, I don't turn them off quick enough. And I, I get all these Nick Ritchie notifications still on my phone sometimes. He has eight goals in eighteen games, and he's shooting twenty six percent. Yeah, shooting percentage ticks back up. I do know one part of Arizona's calculation in that trade is they think that he's someone who needs to not be in the spotlight as much that that he can thrive in that. You know, obviously oh, they yeah. got. They got, they got a pick, you know, he's, he's cost controlled for next year. They don't have any players signed and maybe they can trade him next year at the deadline and get it back. So they, they, and I heard this before he had any amount of success there. Like that was part of how they viewed that trade from their end of things. And it, you know, that's proven to be pretty good thinking so far. I know they're going to take, take a second round pick too, which is nothing. I know it's, it's a ways down the line, but it's nothing to sneeze at having that in your, in your bag. They lost the Russian bear though, James. The Russian bear. He was UFA though. I mean, that that's a good trade for them. And I think it's a trade that made sense for the Leafs too. All right. Well, that's a good segue into the defense. Um, Jake Muzzin is back. He missed 20 games. He missed a long time. Like six weeks is, is they were very patient with this thing. Um, but it's created some interesting questions about what they should do on their defense. Do you have any thoughts like generally on where he fits in now? CJ, uh, with Mark Giordano in the mix, the Russian bear, there's like, suddenly there's not the musical chairs. There's too many people and not enough chairs. Yeah. I mean, it, it's probably a good problem to have, uh, if you're the Leafs, uh, maybe a bad problem. If you're some of those players, you might end up having to sit in games when you're not accustomed to it, but you know, how could any of us really know with Muzzin? I mean, you'd have to have a short memory to not remember to, to not, you know, give him credit for how great of a defensive player he's been for the team the last two seasons and but then this year wasn't there this is even before his most recent concussion and so I think it's a huge question mark I imagine that's why they're going to want to keep playing him down the stretch to get a sense of where he's at and and if he can get back to something like that I mean imagine if he can play even as 80 percent of what he was is his best time as a Leaf I mean it's hard to not argue this is the best decor they've had in in you know, the last number of years, just with having Giordano there, he, he's fit in pretty nicely with Lilligren. 
you know, you still got Rasmus Sandin potentially working his way back from injury. I, you know, I don't know where he fits in, if at all, in terms of, you know, playing games or minutes in the playoffs, but, you know, they finally do have some depth and, and, you know, I, I think there could be a scenario where someone like a Hall or a Muzzin is scratched in a big game. Like it, if just depending on performance, I, I think that that's, that's the beauty. It, they can be a meritocracy now, I think more than in the past because they, they have a number of options and, and, you know, the first order of business, I think, is just getting Muzzin playing a string of games and seeing where he's at. Like, I'm not going to judge based on what we saw against the Panthers or anything. I think it's it's going to take a few weeks, but, um, you know, they were adamant that they wanted to get him back in the lineup and play 10 or 12 games before the playoffs so that they have a handle on where he fits. Because, you know, right now it's a, it's a big question mark. I thought given how much time he missed and coming back on a second night of a back-to-back against one of the best teams in the league, like that's that's a tough ask. And they, I was surprised they had him out. I was surprised he played as many minutes as he did and they had him out there in the three-on-three and he was in some situations that would be awfully tough given how much time he missed. Um, wh- what do you think, Chris, Jonas, uh, makes sense for the D pairs? Like what would you do if if the playoffs started tomorrow? What would you do on the back end, assuming everyone was healthy? Oh, it's such a tough one for me. Um, they have got eight NHL defensemen right now, which I don't think we've been able to say that with this team ever, maybe. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think you go with the six they dressed last night, honestly. It's probably Labushkin and Sandine. I know Sandine's injured that are out to start. That, that only, would just be my guess. The only counter I, I would offer to that is that the Florida was really all over around their net and not getting challenged in front of the net. And that's one thing that Labushkin's been really, really good at since they've acquired him. Right. So the question comes, would you would you scratch Hall? Like, Oh, I don't think Lilligren it's Hall, Jamie, or CJ. I think Hall's like firm. So then you think Lilligren is, is will just get knocked down? Or? I think it's Lilligren or Labushkin. I think that's like a really interesting conversation. I mean, it, like... I know the numbers for Lilligren are just like off the charts and you can make of those what you want, but there's a reason they went and traded for Labushkin. Like they didn't have to trade for Labushkin. And it's not that long ago that, that Lilligren was scratched. Like, and what James is talking about was part of the reason why. Right. Don't you think guys in the playoffs, they need a pair that they can trust in tough minutes as like a match pair. And But that's you look all, at- James, they can create three pairs that they can kind of trust for that in, in well, theory. I mean, if you had if you had Riley Labushkin, uh, Giordano Brody, and Muzzin Hall, like you're not really totally you scared wanna, of anything. You, wanna, you want Muzzin and Hall? You're not scared of playing them against Huberdeau and Barkov in a seven well, game playoff series. So what are you going to do? Like, what's your answer? I think what the best matchup pair for me might actually be, which we haven't seen yet, Giordano and Brody might be the way to go. That was one of the. That was what I said. They were one of the pairs. Yeah, you had Riley and Flabushkin, Jonas. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think that's what's so interesting about it. Like, you could go, you could go Riley Brody. You could go Giordano Hall. You could go Muzzin Lilligren. You could go Muzzin Labushkin. I but, just but think- what if you're Sheldon Keefe and like, what pair do you feel? In you're in the D zone. You're leading by a goal. There's three minutes left in the game. You're playing Tampa. They've got Kucherov on the ice. What What's the best D pair for them to put out? <laughs> that's what's interesting like playing around with the pairs i was trying to come up with a combination that's like this is who i would play in my tough Giordano brody i think is i think that's i think that's probably the right answer because you know i don't think you know labushkin's only been playing he's been good but he's only been playing 60 minutes a night and and same for lilgren 
You know, and the interesting thing, it seems like the fan base is down on Hall and thinks he should come out of the lineup. Sheldon Keefe doesn't think so. If you look at the minutes he's been giving out, because he's been playing Hall a lot more than both those guys. Right. It's trust. Right. Like, I, I, it's like, who do you trust most? And I think I find it hard to think that he wouldn't be among the six that they trust most. But like, it's per- going to be performance like and injuries. Like, I mean, what happens, CJ, when when Sandine like gets healthy again? Where does he fit in is another part of this. Well, I just, I don't see him playing. Me like, too. You know, we might get a few games. They might do a rotation towards the end of the regular season, especially if those games don't mean too much. But, you know, in terms of like when the playoffs start, I just, it's hard to imagine him in the lineup at this point. Um, you know, the one good thing though here, look, Muzzin left the last two playoff series, Lisa played injured and they didn't have great, you know, Martin Marincin got in that one series. Um, you know, I, I feel like now they're just better insulated in the event that there's injuries or things that come up during the playoffs to to withstand that the, those kind of losses. All right, we got to mix in a break and get to the pod bag. I did want to talk about Jack Campbell and his return, um, but maybe we can save that for the pod bag. Maybe it'll come up. It's just like he's, he's back. He's looked pretty good so far. I didn't love, and I'm sure they didn't love, that he had to play in the, the Florida game. Um, so maybe we'll get to that in the pod bag. Let's take a break and come back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Okay, pod bag time. A reminder to support your local businesses, local restaurants. I think uh going to get some pizza this week. Um, CJ, do you have like a favorite pizza spot in the city that you're, is your go-to? Yeah, it's Pizza Pizza. Oh, and I no. Take <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, no. I love Pizza Pizza. Like, legitimately love it. So, oh, wow. Man. I eat so but, much of that. When I first moved to Toronto and I was going to Ryerson, I ate so much of that that, like, I don't think I can ever go back to it. <laughs> but I will say this. I love pizza in all its forms. So, there's lots of other great places to get your ears. Uh, I like North of Brooklyn. I've had Maker. But I'm if I'm just, if I'm at home alone and I was getting pizza and I had it could choose anything in the world and there's no outside pressure, I would get pizza. Wow. Pizza. Sean McKenzie is the same way. He like, he is a faithful pizza, pizza guy. Yeah. Those of us that believe we really believe. Did you find this? I don't know if it's the same way in, in Coburg where you grew up, Chris, but like I found, I moved to Toronto. It's like, I'm in the big city. I'm downtown. There's like pizza on every single street corner. And it was so hard to resist the temptation just to get pizza every single day. Cause that's not, you can't do that where I grew up. Like that's not how it's set, how the system's set up. <laughs> no, exactly. It wasn't. And plus at that age, you were better capable of burning it <laughs> off, but you didn't mind eating all that pizza when you were 22. Myrtle. All right, James, all right. you're in charge. Chris, like, 
our readers, our listeners, they, they come up with the toughest questions when you come on. So, uh, I don't envy you for the next half hour of the podcast having to bang through some of these. Uh, Ryan B wants to know, can Chris elaborate on his comments about this being the last season for the core four, regardless of what happens in the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of those ones I wish I didn't say. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it probably didn't come out exactly right. I think if I'm going to be more specific or, or frame it the way I meant it is that I just think that they're going to have to look at it no matter what. Um, you know, I, I probably made it sound more final, like there's no way that all four are back. But I do think that even with success, it'll be something to consider. I mean, we're getting towards the end of some of these guys' time under contract. You know, they might, you know, you might look at them as assets. This could be a time to move them. You know, they, they've considered it in the past too, right? I mean, just because they elected to keep it together doesn't mean they don't at least whiteboard what it might be or explore the marketplace. And so, yeah, I shouldn't say with any definitive confidence that you won't have all of Nylander, Tavares, Marner, and Matthews as Leafs, you know, next spring or next fall, sorry. But I do think that it's going to be something to consider, especially with some of the parameters are dealing with the goaltending and, and yeah. you know, I, I, I guess saying that just makes a headline, but it's actually not a controversial stance. I mean, the, the salary cap isn't going up for in a meaningful way for like three or four more years. So um, if you're not I, doing I, it, I, CJ, you're not really doing your job. Like they, they should be looking at that. They have to. Right. Well, like, right. You look at the contracts they've got coming up, like look at like Sandine's going to need a raise. Lilgren's going to need, probably some sort of a raise like the highest they, defenseman in the league money basically right they they need to <laughs> they need to find a way to potentially move out that Mrazek contract but even with that gone it's tight you know it's going to be really tight to you don't want to take a step back so i think that potentially moving out some money makes a lot of sense and it doesn't necessarily have to be one of the core four but it it might be well but the problem i think when you come to like those four guys the guy who who is obviously the most you would be most inclined to move is Tavares just based on his age, how much he makes. But obviously there are complications there with no movements and like age and like how many teams are going to, would want to take a guy who has three more years, 11 million. And, and then it's like Neander's got two more years at 6.9. And like, I don't know, like, I, I don't know that there's like an easy solution, but I guess the idea CJ would be you take you, what you trade, you get some assets back and then you use that cap space and try to make the team a little deeper than it is. Right. And, and to me, you've got a clearly defined cup contention window. It's the two years that Matthews is under contract. Be honest yeah. one. That's not to say at 24, 25, they won't still be a contending team, but it's, there's more question marks at play because both, you know, Matthews and Nylander could be UFAs that year. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a little bit unclear what the, the team will look like. And so, this summer, they're going to be looking at, okay, we have this year and next where we know for sure we have, you know, a group of some of the best offensive players in the league. How do we, how do we best give the, that team a chance to win? And, you know, who knows? Maybe it's, they're able to move someone like Jake Muzzin. Um, and, and that creates the, 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 the number you need. But, yeah. you know, Ilya Mikheyev is having a pretty good year. He's a UFA. He gone. Um, I don't know. I'm not as convinced as I once was. I'm not saying he's back. But I, I think he's more open to staying than we would have believed early in the year or in the offseason when there was, uh, you know, when there was talk about him wanting a trade. So 
It, it, it just like feels like his, his yeah, you feels like his number is going to get out of reach, though, right? Like, I, I think people around the league I'm hearing from are like, "This guy's really good." And, you know, I think other other GMs are watching and saying, "This guy can play." Yeah, he's big and he skates well. He's great on the penalty kill. I mean, he's useful. Yeah. And you know, not every team has the cap situation the Leafs do in terms of being just limited to what they can pay him. Uh, he's probably gone, of course. But I'm ju- I'm just saying that there's look this. I think the management team has done a good job reshuffling the deck under their under the, the the restrictions they have and and i just think they're gonna have to do it again and and you know what'll be interesting to see like there's first of all is giordano good i mean it's it's early returns i think it's been encouraging starts there's times leave will he we come back on something like the spezza deal um you know that might make things a little easier in terms of balancing the cap i mean there's there's things that can happen here that make it happen but you know i think they're gonna have to look at it i just i'd be surprised if that isn't seriously entertained this summer again. And that's, that's not contingent on them and the assumption they're going to lose in round one or anything like that. I just think, you know, they've, they've got to keep trying to get better every year, as long as they have Matthews and Marner in particular at, at their best. Okay. We've only done one question and <laughs> the time is winding down. We, we got time for, for more, but uh, move, maybe move. I'm, I'm very reluctant to throw this one out there, but it's one of the most upvoted questions that we have for you. So I'm going to do it. Jason wants to know, are there any good road trip stories? What's the dirt on Mert? <laughs> That's a good one. Dirt on Mert. Don't, um, don't sewer me too badly here because I got questions. I got stories about you too. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any of that bad of stories. What I about, think that anyone who listens to this podcast religiously has probably figured out that you're a giant goof. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's been lots of fun over the years on the road when, when James is, is being a goof. Um, remember, remember that one, uh, remember we were in Nashville that one time and we were, we ended up at like some, like, weren't we with Mark Masters and he's in a full suit and we were, it was like some nightclub or something. And was that the time your dad was in Nashville with us or is that a different time? No, it was a different time. But I just remember we were out like really late in Nashville. I almost missed my flight the next day. And you know, there's lots of silliness that goes on sometimes on the road trips. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about it, I think on this pod before, but we had a really late night in Vegas the night before oh. Mike Babcock fired, which was regrettable for everybody. Yeah. Uh, just it ended up being a crazy work day. But you know, the truth is, is the road is not nearly as wild as someone might imagine just because there's usually too much work to do. And there's games every other day and you got to fly somewhere and, and all that. Um, yeah. It's like work hard, play hard. Right. And don't get a lot of sleep and come home a, a shell of the man that you were when you went. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny because two years into the pandemic, and with me, you know, barely traveling now, at least compared to what I used to do, I, I can't even imagine that lifestyle. Like, I, 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 no part of me wants to go back to it. As much fun as it was at the time, um, I'm, I'm just fine actually not feeling like garbage every day. Uh, did you want to? That's add not anything? a good answer to the question. I'm sorry to the the questioner, but well, that that yeah. night in Vegas, the day before Babcock was fired, might be our all time. Jonas, do you have anything to add about about road trip stories about Chris? About Chris? Chris and I had well, a lot of like... you can tell like, some about me if you want. No, I don't have that many about you that I can think of. I just know Chris we and I had a lot We don't normally travel like, together. Yeah, that's the thing. Like CJ and I, the amount of times I met him in a lobby at 4 a.m. to go to the airport is, is over 10. Over 10? It might be like 50. Yeah. <laughs> we sit, I mean, yeah. how many years? I went to every Leafs game for, more or less for like eight years and you were doing about the same thing. Like it, it's way over 10, but let, let me ask you this, Chris, what do you miss the most about, about being at every game? 
mm. probably spending time like daily time with Jonas and Mark Masters yourself. Like, like I think the camaraderie of doing that is really special because let's face it, it's an insane life. I mean, it's a life I loved and I, for me, it was my dream to, to get to do this, but you know, you're, you're spending more time with your colleagues than you are with anyone else that you know. And so I, I miss the camaraderie of that. Um, you know, some of the dinners on the road, you know, Sean McKenzie was an amazing travel companion. Like he, he would always put the work in to make sure he found the best restaurant or like something cool to do on the off day. Like I just yeah. had to say, yes, I'll do that and I'll show up. And we had tons of fun. So I, I think the camaraderie and, and, you know, obviously when you cover the team every day, like you really do have a sense of what's happening. Like I feel admittedly more removed now because I just don't, I don't go to as many games. I'm not on the road. I'm not in every media availability and stuff like that. But um, as I say, like I turned 40 this year. I, I just think it's anyone who does that for a whole career. I've got tremendous respect for the beat writers around the league that, that more or less cover all their team's games. Cause it's, it's a, it's an insane lifestyle. As I say, it beats working for a living. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining about it, but um, I, I don't miss it that much. I'm just glad I, I had it. If, if that's the best way to put it. Yeah. Some of our people like Russo who have been doing it for almost 30 years and like he's in still, you know, at an airport hotel in Buffalo at, in February at three in the morning. I just marvel at like the, the work ethic that he, and the dedication that, that he, uh, he has. So. Let's face it. You, there's like existential crises when you do this. <laughs> um, there's just some time when you're in like St. Louis and it's January and it's a back to back. And I'm not picking on St. Louis. I'm just saying you're like in some random city and you're like, what am I doing? Like you haven't slept in a week. Um, that was the you one that the CJ, game- the Long Island Marriott, which was across from where the Islanders played. I would have that basically once a year. Like, what am I doing at this hotel? What is happening? Right. right. And like, I'm sure everyone, like I, we actually don't talk about this amongst ourselves too much. Cause I think to do it, first of all, you have to remain grateful that you can do that and call it a job. And secondly, you're just so busy just keeping up with everything, booking the next trip, making your flight, figuring things out, covering the team. Um, But yeah, like 82 games is a lot of games. I actually, it gives me refreshed view of what the players must feel too. Like it's just a lot of games and a lot of nights in hotels that look the same and all that. I mean, and you know, you you can't put your personal life on hold just because you want to. Uh, And so that creates a lot of challenges for anyone who gets to do it. And as I say, it's a, it's a real pleasure, but I, I don't look back and think like, I wish I was still doing that today just because I think it's, it's, it's the best way to find an early grave. Yeah. My uh, existential crises on the road per 60 went up greatly. Once I had kids that were, I was missing things and you start thinking about why am I in a hotel in Edmonton or whatever. Uh, Braden wants to know CJ, uh, where will you watch the parade from? That's his question for you. Santa Claus parade? Or? <laughs> no, I don't. I I don't know. We get weird questions. You don't have to answer that one if you know what to do. That that's. I, uh, I don't know how that works from a media standpoint. I mean, if there was a parade, I imagine there's like a media holding area at Nathan Phillips Square or something. So that's probably that's what they've done with the Raptors. I know because I remember planning that out with photographers and things like that. So probably something like that. Yeah, I mean, if there's a parade, I'm sure I'll be there. Um, but there's there's a lot of games and days between then and, and now. Uh, Nick wants to know, he says poor player evaluation seems like a long-term issue. Uh, he goes back to like previous GMs and some of the mistakes that have been made, uh, some of the draft picks that have been made. 
and then he concludes and, and, and Nick says, uh, Dubas seems to have put together a really strong team. Is there, is there still a blind spot with player evaluation? I don't, I don't know if you have a thought on that. I don't have a strong opinion. You know, one thing I've actually heard, and, and as you guys know, I don't come at this as an anti-analytics way, but, you know, I've heard some people still suggest they think the Leafs are a little too tied to the numbers in a sense that, um, you know, maybe that they, they have trouble balancing that line a little bit. But, you know, I, if that's the case, I would hardly say that they're alone in the league in that. I think that's part of what the the NHL sort of plunge into analytical thinking and measurement has been about is, is trying to figure out what can, what can be measured, what can be captured. And then there is a little bit of the je ne sais quoi at times uh, in there. And so, you know, I've, I've heard that as sort of a knock against them. You know, I don't have a strong opinion though. I, I think that, I think they've done a pretty nice job. I mean, I didn't see anyone get too excited about like the David camp signing, for example, and mm-hmm. that's worked out pretty well compared to what he's paid and the role he's, he's played, you know, Michael Bunting, as we went over is it's been great. I, I think that they, they're handcuffed by their cap situation. The fact that cap remained flat in these years, but I think they've done by and large a good job. And I, and I actually, I like that Kyle Dubas is a GM that doesn't mind undoing a mistake, for example, like just moving off Nick Ritchie and, and, you know, at least getting as a right shot defenseman in that trade. I know they gave up an asset to do it. It's not ideal, but you know, he doesn't seem to be someone who, who is, set on proving himself right. Like if it's not working, I think he's been pretty honest and, and, and undone things. And and I think that's, that's, that's to his benefit and to his credit. So I don't see a huge issue. Every team, if you really hyper-focus on them is batting like one for seven on draft picks, give or take, or two for seven yeah. in terms of producing NHL players. So like that's, that's not unusual to the Leafs. Um, and, you know, in free agency, with not having a lot of money, I think they've they've done reasonably well these last few seasons. I think that that James that that analytic thing is a little bit outdated because I think if anything, you could kind of like it's 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 tiny stuff around the margins, but like they've they've shown like this affinity for like older veterans, like leaders, like Clifford and Simmons and Spezza, and like I think Giordano is a little bit different, but like Felino last year, like if anything, they've kind of like swung a little bit more the other way in the way I see it. Like, I think they probably have too many of those guys at the bottom of the roster, but that's small. All right. Blake wants to know, Chris Jonas, what do you think the lineup looks like day one of the playoffs? Let's assume everyone's healthy. I mean, we talked about the defense already. What what would you do up front day one of the playoffs? Assuming it looks like they're probably going to play Tampa. I mean, that's, that's probably the most likely outcome. Let's say they're, they're playing Tampa tomorrow. Everyone's healthy. What are your, what is your forward line look lineup look like? Man. I mean, I'm shooting. We've seen so many scratches here lately. Like I didn't expect to see Kyle Clifford playing this many games. Um, Well, after that penalty, I don't know. You can cut him out. Like he's probably not in game one. They sure like so him, think, though. You can you can see that they they like what what he brings. Obviously, yeah. So I, th- I assume Blackwell's in the lineup on the fourth line. Okay. Um, I don't know. Spezza seems like it's heading in the wrong direction a little bit. Yep. But you know, is Simmons in the lineup? I'm not convinced he's dressing in that game as on the fourth line. So maybe Clifford is there. I mean, isn't the question really between Clifford and or Simmons? 
I don't think so. So I think this is like, I think it's obviously Bunting, Matthews, Marner. I think it's Tavares, Neander, Blank. Let's, I'm going to put uh, Kasha there. All right. Then I think it's Mikheyev, Kampf, Engvall. And then I think it's Blackwell, Kerfoot, Spezza. Or, mm. or maybe not Spezza. Maybe it's like Matthew Nyes. I don't know. But I think that's, that's where I would lean. I mean, they have options at least. Sure. Uh, which I think is good. But, I mean, let's face it. The fourth line isn't winning them a playoff series. So, but it could lose as long as, as long as Matthews, Marner, Bunting does something, then I think that the fourth fourth line becomes a bit of a, an academic exercise. They've had issues with their their big guns shut out the last couple of playoffs. Do, do we feel like this year is different just because of how dominant they've been? Like, we've seen them play really well before, but it, does this year just feel different with that line from what we've seen in the past? I'm willing to say that for sure. Um, I don't know how Jonas feels about it, but I, I just think it's not to say in, in a random four or five or six game sample, they might not be shut down to some degree, but I mean, this is, this is as good as they've looked individually and collectively. And I think they understand what this means. Like, I, I just can't imagine any scenario where they're not ready for the playoffs um, given, given everything that's happened here and the way they've played this year. Like, I think this is a big statement playoffs for those guys. I, I'm not even sure it's completely necessary. Like some of this falls into like narrative type stuff. Cause for example, if Marner and Matthews, just, just for argument's sake, if they, if they both have off playoffs, I don't think they're trading one of those guys. Like I still think they're back and they're going to get another crack at it. Like, I don't think it's do or die for them individually. Um, but that being said, you only get so many cracks at it. And obviously they've had such great years. So I, I think it's, I think it's different. Nobody's been able to shut them down this season. They've had lots of success against the teams. They're probably going to come up against and, you know, we'll, we'll see how it, we'll see how it unfolds, but I, I would be stunned if they didn't have much better springs than they did last year. Yeah. I'm with you. Like they're they're Matthews and Marner were really good last year. They're way better this year. And, and Bunting's addition to that line gives them like, he just fits so perfectly with them. But I do think it's going to be a question like, can they get enough, even if it's beyond one round, will they be able to get enough from elsewhere? Like obviously they've scored a lot in the regular season, but it's like, I, I just look at the rest of the lineup and I, I don't know. And obviously that's Tavares and Nylander would be my big question. Yeah, you just got to hope Nylander keeps having a hot, hot hand on the power play, maybe. All right. I think we're running low here. What do you think, Jonas? One more? Maybe two yeah, more? Yeah, I think we got one more if it's, or two more if it's quick. All right, Chris, this one's a good one for you. What was the big takeaway from the GM meetings on playoff ref standards any strong support to enforce consistency from regular season and game to game, series to series? If so, will it actually happen? If not, why not? And when will it be one? There are all, we have a ton of questions about officiating. Like, like I would say, like ten percent of the questions are about officiating. So maybe we can dig in on that here for a couple minutes. Yeah, my big takeaway on the officiating is that the league is sensitive to being criticized about it. <laughs> yeah. Like they they reminded the GMs that they can be fine for coming out and saying anything about it. And, and that, that put a chill on what guys were willing to say around those meetings for obvious reasons. But also I think it also sets the tone for the playoffs. I mean, we've seen a few coaches get fined this year. Like I, I think it's more of an issue than the league is willing to publicly acknowledge. I admittedly don't have an answer, you know, and, and obviously in this day and age, missed calls, and you know everything gets accentuated between social media and cameras and all that but 
you know, it, there's, let's face it, there's going to be some controversies once the playoffs begin. They, every call matters, every game matters so much and things get missed. You know, I do sense there's some frustration. You know, I think the Leafs are frustrated, honestly, with, you know, trying to build a skilled, entertaining team and wondering, you know, what, you know, what the league values, you know, how, how few penalties a guy like Matthews draws. I'm sure you guys have discussed that a lot on the pod. I mean, it just kind of doesn't make any sense. Intuitively, it just makes no sense. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there's a high degree of confusion slash frustration around the league, but no one's saying too much about it publicly because, you know, there's a concern the league's going to crack down and, and start issuing fines and, and hitting you in the pocketbook if you do. That's no good. I mean, like, the concern from the league should be making the league as good and the product as good as possible, not that people are critic- are being critical of... Like criticism is is healthy. Yeah. Like, why not just it, say it, it, why are we missing these calls? Is there something we could do differently? Like what's happening here? Like why not just review it and just look at it? Well, I'm sure they're doing that too. I, I think that they believe it's bad for the product to have a notion out there that it's bad. If that makes sense, like that if well, people are openly criticizing it, that that hold positions of power, that that's not a positive for them as a business either. But if they can't even come out and criticize it behind closed doors in a GM meeting, that's problematic. Yeah, well, look, it's a sensitive league. I mean, there's no way around it. I I think we've all felt that in various times in our jobs. And, (laughs) you know, it's I think it is what it is. I I don't know. It's it's really hard to encapsulate officiating into one bite sized topic like. I don't know if it's way worse than it's ever been or anything like that. I mean, there's that perception seems to be out there, but I'm not sure if it really meets reality. But, you know, the playoffs are going to be fascinating because you know, the league is banking on some degree of chaos there. And, and at the same time, they're, they're being very clear behind closed doors that, that they don't want that discussed at all by by anyone with, with power. All right. All right. We, we got to go. I got one. Just get a yes or no, Chris. Uh, James wants to know, uh, not me, uh, one of our readers, uh, will Mike Babcock coach in the league next season? Yes. Nice. That's a good spicy All one. Right. Good, right. good one to end on. All right. Uh, you can listen to his podcast, the Chris Johnson podcast. You can read his work at the Toronto Star. You can see him on TSN. He is the man. CJ, thanks for coming on and talking Leafs. I, I love your show. I hate when I'm on because it's one less show I can listen to because I can't listen to myself talk. But uh, <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. And I uh, look forward to seeing you more here as we get to the stretch run of the playoffs. Thanks, CJ. 